1: Alright, we're live, sort of, on a late Monday evening at the Audubon North in Amherst. One of my favorite spots to be at, especially in the North Town's Great Chicken Wings. It's episode 141 of the More Analytics Podcast. My guest is a feature writer at The Athletic and, of course, host of the Tim Graham Show on 1270 to Fan. Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Third time doing his podcast, first time in person. Really pumped to have you, Tim Graham. What's up, buddy?
2: I think the last time I saw you... Which dates us both was in a Sabers press box. Yeah, I think that's the last time we actually spoke face to face. I was covering the team. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. My scale says different. Although I have, I've been on a diet that's been bit successful, but I still got a long way to go to get to
1: Drury Briere era Tim Graham (laughs) weight. Well. Things have not gone quite as swimmingly for me, as you can see. These chicken wings have kind of gotten the best of me. But... I do
2: want to say to the people listening is that, Pat, I came around the corner. I was looking for Pat, and a guy extended his hand, and it wasn't until I, I
1: was like, oh, that's Pat.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, you do look a little different.
1: All right, man. I'll, I'll, I'll eat that one. Also, by the way, I am joined by my guy, Jeff Boyd, who I do the Big Boy Theory with from time to time from the 716 Sports Podcast. I always talk you up, man. You're one of my favorites going on. Jeff, good to meet you in person, too. This is the first time that we've hooked up. I about to say,
0: it's funny. We've done this show only remotely, only listening to each other's podcasts, and actually get the chance to do this in person today. And if you guys are worried about how you look since the Drury-Briere days, you should see the <laughs> Buffalo Sabres these days, because boy, howdy, have they taken these last 10 years far worse than the two of you could possibly have.
1: I'm going to tell everyone listening a quick story. Did not know this, by the way, until literally this afternoon. I was talking to Jeff, and I said that me and Tim are going to be taping at the Oval North tonight. Stop up. I'd like to meet you. Did not know that Jeff is a former journalism student of Tim Graham. So this is literally like a teacher-pupil moment here on this podcast. It's kind of cool. And I will say with pride that Jeff has done everything
2: he's wanted to do in journalism. Uh, in fact, he's thinking of retirement already. So <laughs> it's only goes to show how successful of an instructor that I was for Jeff. That he's lived his dream and, and now he can... He can rest for the rest of his day. Yeah, you know, some
0: say it's a, it's a shame to peak at the age of 25, but, you know, I'm just going to kind of coast to the rest of my 60 to 70 years and just call it what it is and just go out on top.
1: <laughs> so here's what we're going to do, man. I've had these chicken wings a couple of times. I think they're phenomenal. The fingers, which I don't usually do finger reviews, but they're even better. I know this. You don't. This is your first time here. This is Jess' first time here. I've heard a lot about it. I have a lot of friends
2: who do come here. This is my first time stepping foot in the Audubon North. Uh, but I keep being told, you have to go, you have to go. And there's just something, of, it's just always in the back of my mind. And I just always, because Elmo's is close to my house. Mm-hmm. And just another couple of miles down Millersport is Duff's. And we by have a Bocce's by us. So we just never get out of that little radius. And this is only an extra five minute drive for me so it's not as though it's on the other side of town but it's just a weird it's a weird buffalo or western new york thing right and it's not just not too far away might as well be the other side of the world sure you know i when i lived in south florida it even within the same city boundaries it's going to take you 20 minutes to go five miles yeah and I always just tell myself, man, when I get back to Buffalo, I'm going to spend more time at Southtown's joints because it only takes you 20 minutes to get to the Southtown's. But from a mental standpoint, it's a it's a different area code. Like it's like you need a passport.
1: This is a nice crowd. It's a friendly crowd. Didn't I know it was softball night on Monday, though? I've done a show with Matt Perino here in the past. I thought it was a Monday, but now I'm thinking it might have been a Sunday because it was like two or three people. This bar is significantly busier tonight. Still not bad though. It's a nice crowd. Pretty cool
2: setup here with the split level aspect of it. I I parked in the back, so I got to look at. There's an outside aspect to it. This is a place that I would call my home bar.
1: Yeah, definitely for sure. You're the Elmos guy, by the way. I mean, you, Khalil Mack. You guys are probably two people that Elmos should throw a little little cut to because I, I think, think I've that you've brought a more lot business
2: to Elmos than Khalil Mack has.
1: Yeah, you probably have.
2: Khalil Mack's been on a bigger platform, but in terms of the regulars, like people might come try it out for. But I've. I've cultivated some hardcore regulars. I'm proud of that. Jeff, I get nothing for it. <laughs> you don't get it? Well, you get, you get some props, man. I got it. I think I might not pay for all of my draft beers
1: <laughs> with I'd, those clean I'd draft to do, lines too. I have the way. to do
2: a better accounting, but I pro-
1: if I broke it down beer for beer, I I might not pay for all. of them. <laughs> What about you, Jeff? You been around anywhere? To Elmos? Have you been there?
0: I've been to Elmos. It's been a little while, but they have really good wings there. They do. I was at um, a place that I like that kind of little under the radar. I was at Big Ditch Brewing on Saturday, and they have really good wings there. Surprisingly. Not been there.
1: I've never Not a place there. I would ever
0: think about. Just kind of got them because I was there and I was really feeling chicken wings. Actually really good.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm looking forward to us getting some wings here shortly. What we'll do is we'll wrap for a little bit. And when they come, we'll take a break. I'll play an ad from a sponsor. We'll mow down some wings, uh, give her critiques, and then we'll get back into the show. I wanted to start. I've had you on the show three times now, Tim. This is actually the third time. By the way, thank you. Happy to do it. Um, I had you on my 100th episode. I had an you, honor. you are my second guest ever on the podcast. And who, well, wait, who was first? Sal, Sal was on first, but there's no That's 1A, one right. B. I'm Listen, I love Sal, Sal's the guy, but I did ask you first, man. Something came up and you couldn't do it, so I said, we'll get you on episode two. It wouldn't have mattered. I would have been fine. happy with you. <laughs> but anyway, before we eat some wings, I we've talked before, like the first time I hit you on the podcast, we went for an hour. And I think we talked maybe two minutes worth of Buffalo Bills. We talked about a lot of boxing and your career, and that was fun. Second time around, was a little more straightforward. This time, I want to spend more time talking about The Athletic. I haven't really had an opportunity to talk to you much about that. In fact, the first time you were on, you were still at The Buffalo News. More specifically, the style of writing that you do. That Lex Luger story that recently came out on The Athletic. One of my favorite reads because... I felt really connected to it. I'm a big wrestling fan. I know that you are as well, Jeff. And um, I just grew up a big wrestling fan. I remember Lex Luger very, very well. Before we talk about the specifics of the story, what I'd like for you to do for listeners out there, because I always want them to get something out of this besides just like details of a story or like if you were covering the Bills, like a recap of the game. I kind of want to get a little bit of insight into your process. What goes on when you do that type of story? Just things like... um, you know, how, how long does it take to plan that kind of story? How many people are you talking to? How long does it take when you start writing? Do you set limits for yourself in one specific time? Like, do you get a little bit of writer fatigue and you got to stop for a while? Like, what's your main process? And I'm sure it varies from time to time. But when you're doing a major story like that, that's like six, seven thousand words or longer. What's it that doesn't process
2: vary like? much because what I do and it's a phrase I've used before. I call it Uh, productive procrastination. And fortunately I'm in a situation where I'm given some time to do these long form stories. And what I'll do is uh, I don't want to write. I love the research part of it. I love the planning. I love the interviews. Um, I love finding uh, people and connecting with them. People who are tough to interview or have never been interviewed. I look for that unusual original material. I also want my story to be the definitive piece on that subject not only for that time, but five years from now, ten years from now, you can look back and read okay. this story and still get something from it. So um, rather than write, I keep making phone calls. I keep researching. And really, it's because I, I really detest the writing part of writing. Really? I, I, oh, I, I hate it. I, it's, it's the biggest amount. It's the chore. The other stuff can be enjoyable because sure. uh, I'm learning. Now, I guess my perfect job would be if I could research and not have to then share it with people. If I could just keep it to myself and, not, and then move on to the next subject, that'd be great. But if there comes a point where I need to package it to share it with people, and that's the writing process. So what happens is I usually will procrastinate up until a deadline. Sometimes I set the deadline for myself. It's usually not effective because I know I've set it for myself, and it's an artificial deadline. Right. Uh, Or I'll tell an editor, I'm going to file it on this day, and I do my best to hit it, but I know in the back of my mind I can fudge it a little bit, that maybe I can have an extra day or two. So inevitably what happens is I will sit down to write, and I will write it all almost at once. Uh, Luger was a little bit different in that I think I wrote it over the course of three days and it was also a different editing process because it ran in. Uh, it wasn't considered a Buffalo story. It was considered a national mm-hmm. story for Inc, which is our long-form vertical. And that was a different editor whom I've never worked with before. So my Buffalo editor edited it. My I had uh, colleagues read it. I had uh, one of our college uh, editor is a huge wrestling fan, so I had him read it because this is the first time I'd ever written a pro wrestling story. Right. I I wanted it to be good for the wrestling fan and the, and the non-wrestling fan. I didn't want to embarrass myself by using improper terminology. Um, I, in fact, I'll, I'll say this. So this is an example of where I could have tripped myself up. I was proud of myself, and this is obvious, because you're talking about uh, Lex Luger going back and forth between WWF and uh, WCW. Right. And so the, the the some of the personas change when they flip over. So you had, of course, I knew that Hollywood Hogan was Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So I was proud of myself for that, Uh, but thankfully I looked it up and made sure. I thought the giant was Andre the Giant, not the same. So I could have embarrassed myself there. I I had a paragraph in which I referenced Davy Boy Smith and the British Bulldog Mm -hmm. as as though they were two different people. (laughs) So I don't know this stuff. So I made sure to have it edited so that way I didn't, you know, just totally humiliate myself very early in the story. And uh, so I had it was heavily edited. so yeah, it was a bit of a different process. It was from the time I filed it until the time it ran. I think it might have been maybe almost two weeks, which is rare. Usually, I file it and it runs maybe a day or two later. So this and it took me longer to write it because I didn't know the backstories. And you're talking about the death of Miss Elizabeth and all this stuff. And so yeah, to be very careful and meticulous with every detail, it was it was hard to do, or it was I should say it was time consuming to do.
1: It was a fascinating read, and it's funny because. You don't even have to like Buffalo Sports to want to be a subscriber. Just on that story alone, I really, honestly, I thought it was that good. You talked to, talk to Sting, you talked to Ric Flair, you talked to Nikita Koloff, I believe. Uh, Lanny Poffo, Miss Elizabeth's brother, right. others,
2: two brothers, uh, he, two uh, uh, Jim Ross, I interviewed. Uh, yeah, Jim so Ross, yeah, the two, the family, Miss Elizabeth's family. I, I wanted, I didn't want to tell a one, total. I don't want to say a one-sided story because I interviewed a lot of people. But I didn't want to just take it as everything's okay now because he's uh, he's reclaimed his life and he's he's remorseful and he's turned a new leaf and he's not the same a-hole, admittedly, that he used to be. Right. So I needed to have Miss Elizabeth. Somebody speak for Miss Elizabeth, regardless who it was. And I, uh, I was having trouble finding family members. Um, so I thought at the very least, Lanny Poffo, as Randy, Macho Man Savage's brother, mm-hmm. could at least be some sort of proxy. So I reached out to him. He had some powerful, I thought, powerful things to say about Lex Luger, uh, on almost like he, in on Randy's behalf. He wanted Lex Luger to know certain things that Randy thought of him. Uh, and then I was able to finally find a brother, a half-brother, and then a, her full brother, Miss Elizabeth's full brother. Yeah. And I find out, in through this process that they've never done an interview before. The family has never done an interview about her death. And the reason that they were willing to talk to me is everything's in the approach. Everything is in, being respectful. It's if, whether you're talking to these people or getting OJ to talk, it's, there's a certain approach that I think I've not to say, cause if I say I've perfected, that makes it seem like it's a sales pitch or it's disingenuous, but right. there's, I think a, there's a way to go about it respectfully and regardless anyways we can get into that if you want later but to kind of speed this story along what it came down to is I was not a wrestling journalist and I think they're wary of people who are wrestling people and I said I'm a regular guy I've been nominated for the Pulitzer prize and the guy, and I would get my I got my calls returned and the one brother did say you you should you, because I, I like tagged it at the very end of the voicemail. It's like, oh, and by the way, I'm not a pro wrestling journalist. I'm a I'm a mainstream journalist. And he said, had I not said that, he wouldn't have called me back. I was going to ask you that. Do you think, in some regards,
1: that might have been to your advantage? Well, being he did. A, a he, he told
2: me so. He yeah. told me that. Okay, so, had I not mentioned that, he would just he, he turned he's turned down dozens and dozens over the years. Um, and he said, I know as soon as I talk to you, the phones are going to start ringing again. But you at least you seem to be doing this in the right way. You're and in the in a way that uh, is not to sensationalize, or you know, the comic book approach to it. That I'm not dealing with characters. I'm I'm calling to because I'm dealing with people, right. not characters. Right. And so yeah, that was. Um, so it was a t- There was a lot of different nuance that I would not. I, I mean, to dealing with this or the idea of real the real person versus the persona. You know, for instance. Uh, Sting, it was not Sting said throughout the story. It was Steve Steve. Borden said. Right, Nikita Koloff actually legally changed his name because he ran for mayor of his town once. Really? Yes. And you could not, there was a law in the books that you couldn't run for office under an assumed name, which makes sense, right? Sure. To make sure you're not hiding a criminal past or whatever. So he knew he wasn't going to win as, you know, Phil Fabietz or whatever his real (laughs) name was. So he changed his name to Nikita Koloff so he'd have a better chance of winning. So he was Nikita Koloff. Um Lanny Poffo is Lanny Poffo. Lex Luger, we struggled on that. He was Larry Full sometimes. He was Lex Luger, depending on what stage of life he was in or we were talking about. Um, uh, Jim Ross, luckily, is Jim Ross. You know, we didn't have to worry. But, yeah, there was a weird vibe to this story, you know, of, of trying not to slip into being a, you know, writing of fiction. You know, I wasn't writing a writing about Game of Thrones. I was writing about real life.
0: Right, and to so, to build on that, so you're used to writing about just people who are living their lives as, as pro athletes. Was it different for you having to be able to step into this world of kind of people who are so removed, like playing characters, the person on TV being so different from them? Was it harder for you to separate these stories about Lex Luger the person versus Lex Luger the, the TV persona?
2: I, it wasn't difficult, but it was something I had to be cognizant of uh luckily these are people who uh staying, steve borden is born again also as is nikita koloff uh now rick flair i guess you don't know who we were interviewing there but because he, he's so entertaining sure. but he was talking about his own family and and uh larry Foles' family um so yeah you just have to be aware of it uh but i think that they are aware that they when they're not talking they know they're not talking to a wrestling journalist or doing a pro, doing a promo they know they're taught, we're talking about Larry Foles' life. So they are not the characters, really. Um, they weren't acting. So it didn't really come into play in this particular case with the, this set of guys. But I could imagine that really being a problem. You know, I, and I've talked to some other people since that story's been out, and, yeah, you get guys in character sometimes, and they refuse to, you know, the whole kayfabe old school, yeah. you know, never breaking from it. Uh, but luckily, these guys are all retired and out of the game, and so it was good to...
1: Part of your story about real. that was him being an over-exaggerated version of his character in right. real life. You kind of managed to make me feel a little empathy for the guy. Again, I'm a lifelong wrestling fan, so that's why this topic was so, like, it hit me
2: so much. You should feel empathy for him. I think, and this is, again, I wanted to make sure I spoke with everybody who's been mostly negatively affected. I did. I reached out to his ex-wife. She did not return my right. message um i reached out to the wwe i wanted to uh, interview vince mcmahon they did not uh, get back to me uh, so i at least tried to get his family side that's the only real missing piece is how much he really hurt his family are they willing to forgive but everybody else involved was forgave him including miss elizabeth's brothers yeah um you know i i guess the story's been out long enough that i'm i can give some spoilers but you if you haven't read it yet you probably weren't gonna but um Yeah, I think that everybody vouched for him. Nobody, with the exception of the question of did he physically abuse Miss Elizabeth. Elizabeth. uh, But then they also kind of knew that she she was prone to maybe, not that she's to blame for that, but she was as much into that as he was. Like they were both to blame for both being intoxicated all the time living a life of this double life. And I don't mean the wrestling. I mean, him, he's married with children with a different house and he's got this love nest with miss Elizabeth and she's living on the sly with him. And I mean, all the, all the different volatility that goes along with that. Um, So that's like about the only thing that they were willing to say, look, um, and, and, and it was, I was really surprised at how, how even headed both brothers were regarding that part. Like, did he physically abuse her? And it was one-time accusation. And they both were willing to say, um, but we don't have proof of that. So, what? Who are we to say? And so they were like, "Yeah." So we think it's legit. He's he's turned his life around, and we're happy. It was it was fascinating. And Lanny Poffo speaking for Randy Savage. I, across the board, with the exception of his wife, who I don't know, maybe she would have his ex-wife. Maybe she, but she was the only. The only unanswerable out of the whole story, uh, everybody else was, Hell that part, yeah. That
1: part made me a little sad, too, to, to learn that. Sure. Um, and his as,
2: children his children really have had a, a lot of trouble with him. They were still in school. His son was in high school, his daughter in middle school or junior high when Miss Elizabeth died. And that's not something that you can cover up. You right? know, he she dies. That's public news. That's major news in Atlanta and around the world. And so these kids are going to school, and now my dad is all over the news, and a woman that is not our mother died alongside him. And so they were they were done with him. They were both college athletes who didn't name him in their college bios as being his their parent. And they had, to this, at least up until I wrote this story, the mom and daughter hadn't spoken to him since, And uh, other than, I guess, court and child support and all that stuff. And uh, the son is just only recently coming around to – wanting a relationship.
1: So let me ask you this. And this is kind of the wrestling fan in me back in that era. And you wrote a lot at length about his inflated ego and how it got out of control. And again, his wrestling persona took on a real life personality of his own. He came around the narcissist. He, he, yeah. Yes. He came around. That was literally his nickname too. At one point he came around at a time before him, like in the seventies, even before that, well, maybe not with Bruno Sammartino, but most of the wrestlers Size and build didn't mean that much, but he came around in a time with Hulk Hogan right. and some of these giants where look mattered a lot. And I think that a lot of wrestlers, like old school wrestlers who weren't big like him, I think that kind of brought some resentment towards
2: There him. was, I think, number one, it was envy because of the build that he did right. have. But then also the perfect word is resentment because he shot right to the top in turn and that. Maybe he wasn't, of course, at the time, Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair are probably the top, right? You still had the Mount Rushmore guys. And Lex Luger was just a step below that. But I think everybody identified him as, well, as soon as one of these guys, like, he's ready to just step in there and do it. He could be the next Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan did retire not too long after, you know, and he he comes back like wrestlers and boxers do. Sure. Um, But, yeah, I think he was identified as this guy's going to get a free pass right to the top. And, uh it turned out is that Lex Luger didn't have a passion for wrestling. He kind of thought these wrestling fans are rubes and yeah. this is kind of like, why am I doing this? This is silly. It's embarrassing. Um, he did. He was rolling his eye, but privately he was rolling his eyes at it, but he was like, but I have this body and they're going to give me a lot of money. And I ha- I have some athletic ability and let's ride this as long as I can. I don't think, but again, that's another thing that people say he's turned like he now does, He says it is amazing as life goes on how many people he runs into who are fans, who are doctors and professors and lawyers. And he's like, it's not just, you know, the South where he came up, where it's like Hicks, you know, it's like regular people. This is a mainstream thing. And now he's like, it's pretty cool. And he's he does have remorse that to look back on it and say, I didn't appreciate it when I should have. I appreciate it
1: now that I don't have it. I, I read quotes in the article with some wrestlers at that point. He didn't have remorse early on. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about back then. Right. And then they kind of saw right through that. And it was kind of phony.
2: Yeah. And the whole Lex Express, he thought was stupid. Yeah. Uh, Sting talks about that. And uh, uh, yeah, a little bit of trivia. Uh, you, I didn't know this. I interviewed Lanny Poffo. And my I have a 954 cell number from when I covered the Dolphins and I was living in Miami. Mm-hmm. So he asked me about being in... Uh, being in Florida or whatever because he's just calling me back. And I said, no, no, I, I live in Buffalo now. I, I just have this old cell number. And he said, oh, d- "Uh, really? He said, I was just up there. Did you know that Ilio Palo is my godfather? And I was like, what? I didn't Like know small world stuff. Yeah, Lanny Poffo's godfather is Ilio DiPaolo. He goes in, he knows Dennis DiPaolo, comes up just to see Dennis. He's in town quite a bit, I guess. He says he's in town
1: three or four times a year. I never knew that. Jeff, what were your thoughts on Lex Luger? You're a wrestling guy. Tim is a journalist. There's a difference here. You're a fan. Were you a Lex Luger fan?
0: He's a little, like the big Lex Luger time is a little bit before I got into wrestling. I started getting into it like the early, not the early, but the mid-attitude era, like the big Stone Cold Steve Austin and the rock era of WWF. I don't know, Luger for me is just one of the. he was always just one of those big body guys, but there wasn't much of a character to it. I think he'd be the first to admit he was just a guy who was, he's a good, he was a good athlete when he started up. He's he wasn't a, a huge very good muscle-bound actor. guy. He, he admits it. But yeah, the the character and persona side of things, there wasn't really anything there that drew me to Lex Luger. I've actually I've had a chance to meet him. I've gone to two WrestleManias and he's always at all the conventions and everything that are going around. So I've had a chance to like meet him and shake his hand and talk to him for five minutes, and he seems to enjoy being around the fans now, but I can see on T V that he did not care for he wasn't playing to the audience. He wasn't happy to be there basking in the spotlight. He was a guy who was there collecting a check. He was a lot there to do his
2: job. Yeah. I, I don't think that he was being um That he was, uh, well, uh, I think he gave an honest effort or what he believed to be an honest effort. Like, so he wasn't just going through the motions, but then that's the thing that Jim Ross had mentioned in the story is he had everything. He had the athletic ability. He trained, he worked hard at it, but there was just that, like you talk about a quarterback and the it factor. He just didn't have that passion for it. And that shows through and we see that and I think there are a lot of people and I even made this I've made this point before and Jim Ross who's a huge college football fan um, and a big co- college sports fan in general right. and talks about college basketball is we've all uh, fans the average fan would be stunned at the number of professional athletes who are doing it and don't enjoy it because we think well we'd give our left arm to yeah. have a chance to play for the bills or to get a division one scholarship. But there are a lot of guys who do it because they happen to be blessed with a certain size. And they ha- they did it because maybe their father introduced them to it. And sometimes it, c- it comes easy to a point where it's like, oh, well, now I can make money at this. But that doesn't mean you love it. And so there are a lot of people. There are probably people in the Hall of Fame who have no passion for what they did. They just happen to be really good at it. Or somebody who's born, uh, grows up to be 6'10", and you know, well, I guess I'll play basketball and get a free education. And oh, I might get drafted, you know? Oh, okay. Well, I'll try that. That doesn't mean I, so I think, I think that Luger Larry slash Larry full was that he had a passion for football when that didn't work out for him after bouncing around the Packers and the CFL and the USFL, he needed to do something. And this was kind of like, I guess I'll try this to do it. I'll do it, to do it. And oh, I can make a lot of money at it. Um, and have you know all these women around me, and have these fans cheer for me, and it stroke to the ego. And I think, and he admittedly that was it. And but not having that passion for it, just it, or it showed. It showed like it just didn't in terms of the nuance or the right. things that that separate the
1: goods from the greats. It's fascinating stuff. Go ahead, Jeff. Got something? It's the same thing that separates a first
0: round quarterback who doesn't have the passion to go work out and really learn the playbook from. A fifth or sixth round quarterback, you talk about like a Tom Brady holding his draft card the other day. That's a guy who didn't have the physical gifts that maybe I don't know, well, Michael Vick or an Akili Smith might have had at the top of, of their right. drafts but he just cared enough and loved playing enough that he made it work. Luger with the drive of some of these other guys would have been an unstoppable machine Absolutely. because of the gifts that he was given and but that, he passed that, up right. on them the other way. And that's
2: exactly what, uh, what Jim Ross said. That was his point that he made. Uh, and yeah it's, uh, it's a shame and I don't... Th- But I also, it happens. It's not as like, oh my God, what a tragedy that Lex Luger couldn't sell a a certain move like uh, Sting could or like Hulk Hogan
1: could. It was just kind of like, okay, you know, there's, there are all kinds of people like that in in regular sports. I just think it's fascinating stuff. It was a really good read. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, just the life story of everything that the guys went through. It was fascinating
2: to me. I didn't start, I mean, uh, I, I'm not a wrestler. Well, i I find the wrestling culture fascinating. The right. shows that they have on Vice lately about uh, the dark Great. side of the ring or uh, the wrestler series that they have. I've seen them all. I love them all. Uh, I can't wait until there's more. Uh, but I won't watch Monday Night. What is it? Raw? Monday Night Raw. Uh, right, I yeah. won't watch WrestleMania. Well, I have seen some WrestleManias. I get together with friends and have some beers. and mm-hmm. But I'm constantly the guy saying, now who's this? and he okay now he's feuding i see now it's a little lingo thing he's feuding but i wouldn't say that i would be like now who's he not like like is he a good guy or is he a bad guy you know now i'm picking up some of the terminology but yeah i'm fascinated by it but i wouldn't call myself a fan if that matters but when i'm starting this story this was just a fascinating life and so i said this is a story that i'm looking forward to telling and uh
1: it showed man it really thank you it showed here's what we're gonna do speaking of showing the wings just showed up the fingers just showed up we're here at audubon north with Tim Graham, Jeff Boyd. We're going to bang these out real quick. I'm going to play a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back plenty more with Tim and Jeff. All right, let's take a quick break here so I can tell you about one of our show's sponsors. Today's episode is being brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone out there looking for premium wireless phone service at less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, none of that BS, they have you covered nationwide in the United States with unlimited talk and text, premium fast LTE data plans, hotspot coverage at no additional cost in all 50 states, as well as the Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling US lines. If you don't want to buy a new phone, you want to keep your old one, you almost certainly can. If you you don't want a new phone number, you want to keep your old one, you definitely can. There are no credit checks, there's no contracts, there's no overage costs. Go visit PulseCellular.com, check out their plans. As a bonus, put in promo code MORAN on any online order, and you'll receive another 10% off the price of any phone or plan. I'm telling you, you can't beat it. Find out for yourself what more and more people are finding out each and every single day. Life is better with Pulse. All right, I'm back. The Autobahn North in Amherst with Tim Graham and also Jeff Boyd. Just banged out some wings, some barbecue hot, some Cajun hot, a couple fingers. I already know how I feel about them, so how did you guys feel?
0: The Cajun wings are real good. That's where it's at here, the, the hot Cajun wings. The fingers were, were pretty good. The barbecue were also pretty good, but the Cajun really stood out. Those are, those are solid.
2: Everything was good. I'd recommend it all. Um, well, I, these are what now? These were barbecue, barbecue hot. barbecue, barbecue, barbecue hot. hot. I got, I got to them. They were, co- they had cooled off a little bit, and I think that would change because it's got that glaze mm-hmm. type on it, and it got. I think that affected it. I should have had them while they were hot uh, and right and fresh. Uh, so I, they were okay. The chicken fingers. I heard coming in that they will be the best chicken fingers I've ever had. They aren't clearly the best chicken fingers I've ever had, but I also cannot tell you what's better. So that might be true. Right. It might be true. I don't eat chicken fingers a lot, so that kind of holds up for me. I would say I would highly recommend these chicken fingers. Uh, just a little hesitant to say they're the best I've ever had, but fair. they might be. Very fair. But they might be. The hot, uh, the Cajun hot wing, which is a dry rub wing. Yeah, right. You say that's a dry rub, yeah, right? Yeah, so. Um, you're the expert here on that, not <laughs> me. I don't know the terminology. This is like kayfabe, you know. Rough. This is the face of wings, wing right? kayfabe. <laughs> I'm not. I, I think by explaining the fingers the way I did, we'll say I'm not biased just based on somebody planting a seed in my brain. You did say that these might be your favorite wing. They're top three for sure for me. I would probably put them in my top three also.
1: Yeah, they're they're one of those places. Audubon North, Elmo's, 911 Tavern. I know you haven't had an opportunity to go there yet. Barbill. Those are a handful of places that I consider like destination. I wins. had a
2: disappointing first time experience at Bill. Really? And I had the hot and I thought they were almost inedible because they were too, too hot. hot. Yeah. Now I you know, the whole thing about Duff's Hot and whatever, the original Buffalo Wild Wings, Buffalo BW threes, which right. I've eaten at in Kent, Ohio. That was one of their things is our hot. I don't know if maybe they stole that from Duff's or vice versa or whatever, but the whole thing is our hot isn't really hot. It's going to you know, borderline kill you. Why do they do So that? I eat all that, but, but bar bill was the first time I ever thought, man, this is hotter than it should be.
1: That is literally a carbon copy of what Joe Yurden was talking yeah. about on the show Thursday too. Yeah.
2: But I, mean- I will say also just real quick, a point. the If you go to Elmo's and order Cajun hot, it'll be a totally different wing than you get here, and those Cajun Hots might be they're they're in my top three also. It might be a wing off between those two Cajun Hots. Although here it's a dry rub, at Elmo's it's a sauce, it's a yeah. saucy wing, double dip. I agree
1: with that. Um,
2: that could be, and there's a there's also a honey mustard hot, or I'll sometimes do a honey mustard Cajun at Elmo's. That would all would probably round out my top three. So this this enters
1: with a bullet. To my top three this, this Audubon North Cajun Hot Is this a place Where I mean Granted this would be A little easier for you Because it's not much Of a drive for you But No it's f- again, 10, handful, 15 minutes I, I consider A handful of places Like Destination Wings Where I'll take a nice Little decent ride Just to get some wings Get them I, this Well This is a place Where I'd definitely Pick them up to go Yeah That's
2: fair What about you Jeff
0: I'll be back here I'm only 10 minutes That way This is easily I will come and have Wings here again
2: and here's the thing, I guess I should qualify that. I want to say, but if I'm getting them to go, that doesn't mean I, I don't want to be here. <laughs> it's that all my buddies are at Elmo's. Like, Elmo's, I eat there. Duffs, I don't eat Duffs. Get, get I don't eat <laughs> Duffs. I don't go to Duffs and sit and eat Duffs. So it's not that. It's like, uh, no, I don't know the people. Maybe if I try to, if I come in here a handful of times and stay, I'm sure I'd make some friends. But, like, all my, you know, all my Norm Cliff. And uh, Frazier. Sure, that's your spot. Yeah, and Carla, you know, they're all down at Elmos for me.
1: (laughs) I just think the concept of getting some wings at Autobot North and taking them to Elmos would be awesome.
2: Quick (laughs) trivia question, because this was kept me up two nights ago. I was going through all of the first and last names of all of the cast members of Cheers for some reason. What was Diane's last name? Oh, my Lord. I could remember everybody else on the show except Diane. Oh, my
1: God. You want to hear an embarrassing... I could even go
2: with Lilith Stern. Frazier's wife did not take his name. Like,
1: I remembered that. I know it now. You know what Diane's last it, name it is? It took me a second. Yes, I do. Here's the funny thing. As before we started taping again, we were eating. And we were having a conversation about some... Students, sometimes you don't pay attention in class. I am literally, right now, binge-watching Cheers for the first time in my life. Oh, no kidding. I've never watched it before when it was on in the 80s. I'm on season eight now of Cheers. Diane, Diane Chambers. Chambers. Oh, yes. would. Uh, yeah, Because uh, I didn't like her that much, by the way.
2: I don't think I'd come... So are you on...
1: Um, I'm on... Kirstie Alley's Kirstie on. Alley. She's been on for... She came on, I think, at the start of season six. And the I'm Kirstie
2: on, Alley, who was on Cheers for a long time was my score to beat. If yeah. You know what I mean? I know
1: exactly what you mean. I liked her. She, a lot. I like, she's morning. still
2: attractive now, but not that she's not like she was then. <laughs> All right, let's get serious. Jeff, here, what do you right? think, Jeff? What do you,
0: you're, you're, I'm not a big cheers guy.
2: No, but I mean, you, you just, uh, you don't want who's your score to beat? It was
0: original Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Seinfeld back in oh, the nineties. He turned me on to yeah.
1: Seinfeld. That was my first binge watching the summer. I did you a, know, all nine seasons of Seinfeld. I, I think never she gets watched better anything.
2: looking as she gets older. Yeah,
0: it's, it's Still in Veep. That's still yeah, a, she's still, still hot. a still high score.
1: <laughs> Let's get serious here before this gets That's, out That
2: was serious. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to what we're about to talk about, I'm guessing we're going from the serious <laughs> phase of the show to not so serious. All
1: right, maybe you're right, man. I, I do want to talk about the athletic. I, I read a story in June. It was the one-year anniversary that you wrote about since the athletic Buffalo division right. formed, I should say. I didn't know this until I read this story. You had, you kind of engineered a meeting between John Vogel and Matt Fairburn. I did. At a bar in Orchard Park right after John had left the news and his intention. And this part I knew that he was not going to take a job and he was going to spend the summer on the lake chilling out and figure out what he was going to do with the rest of his life.
2: The birdhouse, which maybe is where you should go when you're in Orchard Park. I'll try it. Four Wings. Yeah. You have an upcoming guest yeah. in, in Orchard Park that you don't have an established. That might be a place to go I to will. try it. I'm, I'm um, gonna, I'm gonna it's owned talk. by Brendan Begain, who used to be the manager at Brennan's on Transit, a, really? a place that a lot of people might know him from there. He's huge; he's like six six, big big guy. And he was also he was nickname was Bird, I think, because there, there's a bit of a resemblance to Larry Bird too. <laughs> um, so it's called the Bird House. His brother is Brian Begain, who was the longtime Florida Panthers writer for the Palm Beach Post. He went to St. Bonaventure and just went down there as a sports writer. He's the guy who got me to come to leave the Buffalo News to go cover the Dolphins for the Palm Beach Post. So it's kind of like a small circle type thing. So, um, uh, About
1: that meeting, you you kind of engineered that at the time you had no stake in this. You were not. None at all. You weren't at the Athletic. You didn't know that you were going to be there at the time. I had no offer. You kind of brought them two together. What happened?
2: uh, Well, um, I'm obviously friends with John Vogel. We go back a long ways. Uh, he had taken the buyout from the Buffalo News and fully intended to get out of the business altogether. That was his main objective. Mm-hmm. He had long been i hope i 'm not telling a tale out of school or talking uh, talking out of turn here, but I think he 's made this known is that um, I might even have had it in the story, but i can 't remember it succinctly um, or specifically I should say totally different word i 've only i 'm only on i 've only had a beer and a half <laughs> yeah uh, but i 'm having a little trouble with words <laughs> maybe that 's a problem I, well. It's when you wake up and you're not hungover anymore. (laughs) That's when you know you have a problem. Um, But uh, John was done with journalism and especially the Buffalo News. And so he, in his mind, the next time the Buffalo News offered a buyout, he was going to take it and get into a regular nine to five job and be thrilled. Mm -hmm. And so Buffalo News had its first quarterly loss in four decades offered the buyouts. He was the first in line out of sports to uh, volunteer to say, I'll take a buyout. Um, I think it was within a, just a few days, the athletic reached out to him and he wasn't going to take the offer. Right. And he talked to me about, it. he said, what do you think I should do? And I thought, and our good friend, we were uh, George Richards, who uh, ends up, he and joins the athletic too, lo, many months later, lo mm-hmm. and behold, but at the time, uh, he's covering the Columbus Blue Jackets for uh, uh, the Columbus Dispatch, and he was in town also because he knows Brian. He and Brian Begain were friends on the Florida Panthers beat. Anyways, getting too far in the weeds, but we were thinking like you may regret this. Like, look, you love you love sports writing. There were many reasons that John wanted to get out of it. We thought change of scenery might be enough. He wasn't convinced, and. Um, so John was having his going-away party. Like, it was his last day at the Buffalo News. And uh, I think he came straight from the paper to the birdhouse. George was in town. Chris Baker, John's boyhood friend, they went to school together. Chris Baker also had not had a offer from The Athletic yet. At Sabres Prospects is where you find Chris. People know him as the Sabres analyst. And uh, he invited just the three of us to his going-away party. Because he's like, I, you're the only three people I want there. I said, fine. I said, would you mind if I invited Matthew Fairburn? He's somebody I think you should meet. Now, I had I had a, I had a hunch that The Athletic had spoken to Matt. And I just decided, let's get these guys together and see if anything happens. And so we get them there after a few drinks. I think Matt may have shown up late. Uh, but I say, hey, here's John Vogel. And I think it was kind of like, oh, you got an offer? I did too. And so... George and I and Chris Baker kind of left them alone to talk. And I think it was less than five minutes. And it's kind of like, all right, their little meeting's over. They rejoin us at the bar. And it's like, well, I guess I'm going to join the athletic. And it was a deal where it's like, all right, well, if you join, I'm going to join. It was like, if it's a package deal. I think Matt at the time was talking to the Buffalo News, was being, and they wanted to hire him a second time. They'd offered him previously. He turned him down. They'd come back at him again. They were high on him. And so Matt wasn't sure what he wanted to do and them talking together which was kind of my it was a little it. it was instinct there was an instinct there and i'm thinking i just thought i think these two guys should talk to each other and then i started getting envious cuz now i'm thinking well shit these guys are excited about this new place to go here i am at this smoldering crater <laughs> uh, on at one news plaza and i'm depressed and these guys are happy and excited and it was about I want to say it was two weeks later I got the offer to come to the Athletic uh, roughly there I don't I think I spelled it out with specifics in that story but yeah it was funny how that worked i I felt uh, I feel like I have a little ownership in how that happened because this was and this is true heading into that night John Vogel was done with journalism he was going to turn down the Athletic the next day and I think had John Vogel not gone to the Athletic I'm not I don't think Matthew Fairburn would have gone to the Athletic he may have ended up at the Buffalo News in John Vogel's job. And so, yeah. So those were all the dominoes that kind of fell. Now
1: for yourself, you kind of took a leap of faith. All the guys are leaving the Buffalo news for various reasons. We're not going to rehash, you know, in detail, all that stuff, but they were for different reasons. John kind of wanted to get out of the game at the time. Like you said, Sully and Bucky were facing roles that they were not eager to embrace. You didn't get a buyout offer. Your story's no, completely different. They wanted you back at the Buffalo Bills. There News. were
2: two sport two members of the sports department the union told me would be denied if we asked for a buyout. It was Vic Carucci and me. Yeah. And we were considered integral to their future. And so I could not just cash out and go find another job, which so they I've had people tell me we knew something was wrong when you left because I didn't get paid to leave. The other guys got paid to leave. Uh and I just was said, screw this. And I was like, see ya.
1: It's a legit leap of faith, right? I mean, Absolutely. At the time. Absolutely. And-, and it's still, it.
2: well, it was because it happened already. It happened a year and a couple of months ago. But there's still some uncertainty. Um, I'm excited about the athletic and I'm encouraged, but we don't know. I'm not under a guaranteed contract. Uh, but the thing, uh, and I've mentioned this before, is that I had a choice. Either I could be uncertain for my future and depressed at a place that's dying or I can be uncertain about my future, excited at a place that's growing. And to me, it was just all about bet- between the years. I needed but I needed to be happy between the years. Well, the athletic- well where else are you happy, actually? Right? I guess that that's not... not on a- this podcast, yeah. buddy. I sir- needed to be happy. You're- I can stop there. I don't need to add the, the caveat that it had to be between the ears.
1: I just needed to be happy. And obviously, the Athletic's doing very well. Over a half million subscribers. You brought it up, though. If there's one thing that maybe... You need to worry about, not necessarily worry about, you just, there's no history with the athletic, long-term history. Being sustainable over a long period of time, I would imagine for anyone, whether it's you, whether it's the Tampa Division, St. Louis, wherever it may be, that that would be the concern, is that you got to do it over a longer period of time. I'm not worried
2: about sustainability as much as I am if the the model changes in terms of, we don't know if we're going to go public. Uh, we could be sold at some point. Maybe we're being built into a, a sellable asset and we don't know what maybe the next owner decides it needs to trim here. Hey, we're so successful. Let's be even more successful by trimming a little salary, you know? Um, but those are the worries that you have no matter where you are. Really? Right. I mean, the, where, uh, where you were, were, kind of lulled into a false sense of security at the Buffalo news is that we're in a union. The union contract is strong Um, But if the if management ever decides it wants to play hardball, then our security could go right out the window. So it's there's a you're kind of you're taking for granted that the system's going to remain the same at the Buffalo News. You hope it does if you're in the guild. But, you know, if they get to a point where they say, you know, we're just going to hire a bunch of online writers and let the paper rot a lot of. And that's not to say that that's some sinister way to go. That's could be a a business decision. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette is not going to print anymore. Yeah. It's going to be online only. The Cleveland Plain Dealer is phasing out its print editions. The Youngstown Vindicator, a paper that's been around since the 1800s, just closed its doors recently. So if the Buffalo News decides it wants to go online only, that would, that would
1: bust the union. You guys continue to make big moves, big news, especially on the Bills side now. Joe Bascalia just joined the Athletic. To me, that's, like a, that's a big free agent signing, man. To me, that's yeah. like to use an NFL comparison it's almost like Aaron Donald compared to how I think about Joe B as a sports reporter he's a everything talent he
2: does he's a talent what does, the he, podcast, bring in a team? What does he bring well uh, the broadcast element uh for well number one he brings his expertise and <laughs> uh, the fact that he's covered the bills for so long he is a go-to guy on the bills beat maybe more than anybody else in town uh that would include me when I was the beat writer I mean he's always had more followers on Twitter than I have um I think that compared to any of the other beat writers in town, uh, he produces a content and insight and delivers it in a way that um, is better than anybody else. And I would have said that before he joined The Athletic. It's just the way people people devour his content. And, um, uh, and the way that he fearlessly uh, will go, um, the way he analyzes certain positions and things like that, he does it with... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh with conviction, mm-hmm. you know, there's something I feel uncomfortable when I was just talking to him about this today. Um, or maybe it was yesterday, but it, when it comes to interior line play, I'm the first to admit, I don't know what I'm looking at. And uh, 99 out of a hundred sports writers, no matter how much you followed football, you know, like, I don't know. I never played that position. Number one, uh, and number two, the coaching of it, the the idea of blaming somebody for a sack is reckless. You know that the sack is on this guy. You don't know what the blocking assignment was. You don't know what the defense did to create confusion. You don't know if uh, there's somebody playing hurt and the center is trying to cover for him or get well, whatever. There's right. all kinds of ways, you t- and how do you judge it? Um, but he does it, and he does it in a way that's. I, I've I've heard him have conversations with members of the Bills offensive line where they will um maybe be critical of him but they never seem to uh, tell him he's wrong or you, you don't know what you're doing Right? Like it's i think linemen aren't generally aren't used to being criticized cuz like people like me don't but this is my long-winded rambling way of saying that Joe goes there and he does a good job of it and uh he's studied film and he's been a he started off as a as a draft guy and he just goes he he's looking at players and he has immediate opinions on guys, and it takes me a lot longer to come up with an opinion. And I just really trust him. Like when he says something, I don't, I don't wonder, like, I don't know, Joe. I'm going to have to wait a while until I can really see for myself what I think. And most writers and analysts, that's what I do. I'm like, how much can I swear on this? Can I drop an F-bomb? You can
1: say whatever you want to say. I,
2: this, is a, this is a common thing that we say among each other as writers, uh, at least Matt, Joe, and me sarcastically or with whatever, somebody will make a comment and uh, inevitably uh, one of us will say, what the fuck do you know about it? <laughs> and so we say, or we'll mutter it under our, somebody will say something off in the distance and we'll look at it and I'll be, I'll go to Matt and I'll look at him and I'm saying, what the fuck do you know about it? <laughs> and, uh, but with Joe, you don't with Joe, Joe, he knows about it. There's, right. a,
1: He's got a knack for it. I'll tell you this much. And this is the best compliment I could give Joe and Matt working together right now with the athletic I spend my days on Twitter, usually dicking around, you know, on company time. I do my work, don't get me wrong, but I'm always on Twitter seeing what's going on, making my own tweets. Anyway, during Bill's practices, I've always followed Twitter. And there is, you know this, there's a million different people tweeting the same play over and over. I've gotten to a point, I don't need to watch Twitter anymore during Bill's practice. Because I know later on, I'm going to get camp observations from both of them. They've been both teaming up. On the offense, defensive side, flipping and flopping. I will tell you, been... I get everything I need. Literally, I honestly get everything I need from practice just by reading that one column.
2: You're not alone because those things have been doing amazingly well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we wondered how it was going to be. The three of it. We carpool almost every day, and we're in the car. We're like, I remember at the beginning of camp, we're like, How are these going to go? Because I don't think they were necessarily. You know, pe- the athletic has grown just in the last year. Last year, you know, the athletic was at the Buffalo site was only what two months old when camp started last year. And so we're going off last year's numbers and Matt and I are, you know, hypothesizing, well, what are the numbers going to look like this year? And they are, their line drives every day. I mean, it is solid contact. The people are eating them up. We're getting new subscribers. Um, Their coverage. I I think it speaks for itself.
1: One more thing about the athletic, then we'll move on. And Jeff, I want to get a take from you on this as well. What I like, about the guys at The Athletic. And look, I have this podcast and I'm fans of everybody. I'm fans of many people at the Buffalo News. I have them on the show, many TV stations and outlets. I think what The Athletic excels at, especially on the football side, interaction with fans. I feel like Joe, yourself, Matt, are far more prone to interacting with fans. And I don't just necessarily mean I ask you a question and you answer it. Someone will have a comment, you know, you're a little back and forth. You're, you're interacting with fans, and I feel like where the Buffalo News on the football side drops the ball a little bit, they're not like that. I will, let me say this. Jay Skursky, to a much lesser degree, because Jay does get—I I watch his Twitter, and he's he'll interact with fans, so I shouldn't include Jay. But the other guys who cover the Bills, as talented as they are, I, I still feel like I'm not getting any interaction from that. Is it a conscious effort, do you think? on your guys' part, to be as interactive with fans as possible, as long as they're not being stupid and abusing that right to be interactive with you. Sure. I mean, number
2: one, um, we enjoy it. Uh, The other thing, not only on Twitter, but in the comments section underneath, it's actually pretty uh, smart conversation there. And, of course, a lot of it is, hey, uh, great story, or I I disagree with this one sentence. Uh, You know, there's a lot of just, like fluffy comments in there. kind of yeah. but sometimes you'll get into discussion that you don't get in most places because somebody's posting uh, uh something political or uh liber- or making it a liberal versus uh right wing or conservative thing or uh stand for the Vantham, or you know there's all kinds of things you see in comment section that have nothing to do with the story right and it's because the athletic has number one everybody's a subscriber who's in the comment section right. you can't just you can't just jump in. You can't just dive into the comment section oh, and stir up shit and leave. Yeah. You got to su- be a, you gotta right. pay to be a troll. Right. And um, although we do get some of it. Right. But also, I think it's um, if you get in there and answer, if as a writer, you get into the comment section, then I think everybody's a little more respectful. Um, I think sometimes people are surprised. Like, oh, you read these comments? Like, well, no, I wouldn't. I would never read the comments when I was at the Buffalo News or when I was at ESPN. They It was just it was brutal. <laughs> Bru- like yeah. stuff that would ruin your day. Brutal. Sure. Like get like.
1: Jeff, we've had this conversation too before. Where yeah. We've talked about you know just sports media and their ability to interact with fans. You kind of feel that same way on that athletic side that.
0: I, I, I do. And I think Tim hit the biggest point is just because everyone's a subscriber. We're all invested in the content. People are much less willing to pay money to talk shit to you. Some people will do it. But if a guy's like, well, I can post this comment on the Buffalo News article for free, I'm going to do it. That same guy's not going to click the button and put his money towards doing that to you on your article. And I think that creates a culture and a community of people who really want to read and enjoy and interact with the content. They have opinions about the content. And at the same time, I feel like another thing that you kind of alluded to before is there's a lot of, and maybe it's not a Buffalo thing or it's just a nationwide thing. I notice it with Buffalo writers because I follow Buffalo writers living here. Yeah, A lot of personalities in radio and buffalo in the buffalo news if you come at them with a comment about their article or you disagree with it a lot of them are very combative like they're trying to convince you that their opinion or how they saw something is correct whereas if i'm reading an athletic article i feel like if you make a good point to one of these guys it's a discussion they're not they're just trying to tell you what they see they're not trying to convince you that you're wrong it's just how they saw and interpreted the plays how they saw the story versus trying to like, well, this is this is how it is. This guy is this guy. This game was meant this. It's a black and white versus shades of gray.
2: Not to speak in too much generalities, but I think that there's a lot of aloofness from people who end up hurting their business that they just aren't present on, except like, hey, read this, cl- read this thing I wrote. Right. And then that's the end of it.
1: That literally is the end. You of
2: could it. ask a question and you're not going to hear anything back. Um, Hey, uh, listen to my, this, uh, read this and then that's it. Um, then there's also like Jeff saying a, um, I had a much clearer point as before I started it, but the, yeah, it's, uh, neither, neither is good for business, right. neither is good for business. I think you need to have, uh, interaction. You need to have a conversation as opposed to choke on this like you you just accept this and if you don't then you're an idiot right and if you don't then that's not that's not what we like especially when it comes to the oj simpson stuff i'll be happy to have any conversation you want and i don't get too cute with that because i know it's a hot button thing and if i understand that people think it's maybe disgusting that i've interviewed him but i'm willing to have that discussion and explain it um but i think there are others who would be like don't like it you know uh you're blocked or don't like it don't follow right but i don't know i there's there's probably a little bit more to my word salad than than i'm yeah. trying to sort and then through, those people
0: but. that come and post those comments if you get that kind of response you're never going to go and try to have that conversation or interact with that writer or podcast or the same way again you're like well i was invested in what you wrote but clearly you're just putting that out there you don't care what i think about it you just want to like you said, just throw it out there and like, here's this, read right. this. And they they don't want to hear from me. They go and find someone else, another podcast, another writer, another pick anything like that in media these days. Sure. With, in the day of social media, everyone wants to think that their favorite writer, band, everything is interacted and invested in their enjoying the show and social media feedback and how they think of what sports teams like the Cleveland Indians Twitter the other day with that gif of Baker Mayfield shotgunning the beer goes right to Colin Coward and things like that. And people are eating that up. There's 70,000 sure. people liking that tweet. People love that kind of stuff. And that's kind of how people view interacting with sports teams, sports personalities, athletes. It's a whole different ballgame in the day and age of social media like that.
2: I've, I've noticed a big change there at The Athletic compared to my previous employer uh, regarding that, just the mood of, yeah, we're all, yeah, we, we retweet each other's stuff. Uh, we had an element at the Buffalo News where there were some people who weren't even willing to, you know, there's a the union aspect of it. There were like, little feuds going on at the paper where people wouldn't retweet the other stuff. There was one prominent member of the sports department who refused uh, to uh, retweet anything that had to do with the guild or any kind of, you know, pride and, you know, union, like trying to bat and get together. There were some who uh, were happy to have uh, non-union workers coming in. There were some who were disgusted by it. just a weird dynamic there of people who refused to really band together and, and help out the common good. I think there are some who just resented management for driving the business into a a place that we didn't agree with and say, all right, should it be my job to sell subscriptions to the Buffalo news? No, that's the fourth floors and the fifth floor. They're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do our jobs. I shouldn't have to go out and, you know, but it's getting to the point where you do have to, uh, or else you might be out of a job, but people are, there's a bitterness there. And that's, I think to come full circle where it gets to, how mentally liberating it was to go to the athletic where now it is like, yeah, I'm going to make sure that I retweet this story that athletic Phoenix did or the whatever. Cause I like, you know, but where I, maybe I, I didn't at did the Buffalo news. Cause I'm like, well, what's wh- why, sh- why is it my job? You know, and now yeah. it is kind of my job. It's think. a refreshing, like you, where you feel like we want to like, cause we're actually in a good, like we're, we're encouraged. We're optimistic about the future. We're excited about it, rather than just being depressed and. I think you can in, see that. I think, and and just, just, I think it
1: shows on Twitter. Yeah, even just Twitter and just just on that it shows.
2: That's another point that I'm not doing a very good job articulating, but it's. I think it's a mental health thing in many regards. Sure. Like we're all pull, We are all pulling together because we're all excited, as opposed to, my God, what is management doing, or what is. Why, why am I being assigned to write this story? I don't even cover this. You know, why am I, whatever. And now we're, we're all in our lanes and we're doing our thing. And we all, we have a vet, we're invested in the future of the athletic, whereas, Everybody else is like, man, fuck this place.
0: Yeah. This might be a bit of a layup, but do you feel that you as a writer are able to produce better content now where you are here versus a year ago because of where you are mentally and having the space of The Athletic?
2: No, uh, I'll say this. And this is where from a journalism standpoint, the Buffalo News was great to me. I think I'm doing the same exact caliber of work at the Buffalo News or at The Athletic than I was at the Buffalo News. I get that a lot on social media, too, where people say, Tim, so glad to see you at The Athletic so you can write these types of stories. These are the same types of stories I've been doing for five, right. six years. Yeah, exactly. Um, since before I left ESPN uh, in 2011. So it's odd that people view it that way, though. Like, oh, man, the Tim finally is free. And no, they gave me the time to write these stories, the resources. They I, they allowed me to travel. There was never a time where I went to them and said, I want to do this story. And they said, nah, we're not going to be able to do that one because uh, we're having cutbacks or we don't have the space for it or we can't give you the time. Except for maybe when everybody was gone from the paper and then all of a sudden I was right. covering five things, you know, right. five different sports in the span of two weeks. But, um, but no, so it's not a layup. It's, and I, but I think a lot of people wonder that. And I, I, I'm doing the same, same exact job. It's the same exact, exact job. The difference is that uh, I don't have four layers of management on top of me. Not to say that anybody, I was ever pressured at the Buffalo News by anything, but, you know, I have, I work from home just like I did at the Buffalo News. Um, but I'm ne- I've never since I've been at the Athletic. How about this? All right, so this is a little different. When Lisa Wilson was the boss uh, of, of the sports department, I didn't have this issue. Uh, things would change and it got to micromanagement. What are you doing? How about this? Do this. What do you think about doing this story? Uh, here's an idea I had, uh, that it be like, you, you know, you, and then you got to accept some of them just to stop from saying no all the time. And you're doing some things that maybe you didn't think are great were great ideas, or you didn't necessarily have time for, but now you're wedging it into your schedule because you have somebody telling you that I'd really like this. And I'm generally a pleaser by nature. Like I want to, you know, hey, that's fine. Let's, let's do it. Um, if you think this is a good idea, then let's do it. Um, since I've been at The Athletic, I have not once gotten a, a phone call. Definitely not a phone call. I can't think of an email off the top of my head where it said, uh, hey, you got something coming for us today or tomorrow or the next day. Really? I send them an email saying, these are the stories I'm working on. And I'll get an email back that says, great, with an exclamation point on it. And I go and write those stories, and as they they sort themselves out, meaning which one's going to be done next, then I start giving them updates. All right, this one's going to be coming in three days. This one's coming next week, and then I'm going to work on this. I got these three phone calls in, and I think I might have a nibble here, and I get, great, great, great. And it's just like, fine, thanks for the updates. Thanks yeah. for the updates. And, I mean, that's a pretty amazing work environment compared to – what most people have to deal with. Sure. I've never had an editor breathing down my neck at the athletic and, and pretty much the deadlines that I set are mine, yeah. which makes it dangerous based on what we were talking about right, earlier. earlier right. But there have been some times where they'll say, it's a good idea for you to have this story by this date or a certain day. We get to Fridays. People aren't checking the internet on Fridays like they are Monday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. Right. But what happens if I can't get it done by Wednesday, to be posted on Thursday, they'll say, why don't you just take the weekend and we'll get it on Monday. Oh, really? Can you imagine? Huh, no. Yeah, he's like, you know what, why don't you I make can't. a couple more phone calls and take the, that? but that's a that's bad for me. Yeah. When I get to a certain point and I'm thinking, you know what? I might get an extra four days on this story.
0: You'll use all of them.
2: I will, absolutely. And then I'll be hammering Saturday night to get it to him on Sunday or whatever. But it's, it's
1: such a dream place to work in that regard. They let the writers write. i do want to talk about oj you were at the buffalo news when you did that story and since he got out of jail that feature story you did i believe you were the first person to speak with him publicly right since in like 10 years yeah yeah, yeah. And you had him on the radio show it wasn't like times. a tmz right oh, i no. think i
2: called it the first meaningful interview that right. he'd done oh, in 10 absolutely,
1: years absolutely and you've had him on the show your radio show a few times obviously and this fascinates me because i look at it from a podcaster blogger sports media point of view too I think that somebody like me might look at it differently than somebody who works at Coles nine to five. I don't know why I just said Coles. <laughs> the first thing I forget popped yeah, in wings my head. on the mind. Right. Yeah, Wilson Farms. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, may yeah. they rest Listen, in peace. Listen, he's a obviously he's a lightning ride for hot takes. You know, half the people are like, "That's a get. You got to go get it." You get right. somebody like that. How could you not? That's what I'm saying. It's like I wouldn't even think twice. How could I not? It would be irresponsible for my career to not. Have an O.J. Simpson story if I had the opportunity. But then again, you got a lot of people. He's a murderer, and I hate him. His guts. First first and foremost, you have to be able to separate a professional opinion and doing your job from any type of personal opinion right. on him, correct, when it comes to doing that type of story. Like You're literally doing a job. You're not his friend. You're That's not exactly two, right. You're not two buddies that are sitting down having a conversation over bears and wings like the three of us are tonight. This is a job and you're doing a story. That's
2: I'm giving a glimpse into the life and the mind of right. one of the most complicated and infamous personalities of ever American history. Right.
0: No, my perspective on OJ is so weird, too, because I'd never watched him play football growing up. I'm like, I was born in the Super you Bowl. Don't know era. Him as,
1: you don't know him as a Buffalo Bills. Like the, the OJ hero.
0: Simpson that I remember is the criminal aspect of it or the, or the
2: well, that's same with me. Yeah. I was born in 1971. Me too. I started following football. Really, became a fan and when I was seven, 1978, and he was in his last season with the 49ers, I think, in seven. Maybe he played in '79. I'm drawing a blank, I, but I know he was with the 49ers on bad knees. OJ wasn't. OJ to me was an actor, celebrity, right. broadcaster, all that stuff, and that didn't necessarily mean anything to me because uh, he was never the best at any of them. Uh, You know, there was always Madden when it came to broadcasting or, you know, uh, Pat Summerall and, uh, you know, all those guys, uh, you know, I could probably think of that you would think of before O.J., Um, Don Don Meredith, uh, you know, all the different people in the Monday Night Football booth. Um, He was never the best actor, obviously. He was so he was just this thing, you know, and then. Yeah. So that was that was O.J.
1: for me was really the, the trial. Right. Well this is the question that I wanted to ask you I'm, and I'm not going to ask you for your personal opinion on OJ mm-hmm. Simpson that's your business that's literally nobody else's business except your own but on a professional level what do you think of him in terms of does he brings value when you talk to him how does he conduct himself when he's talking to you do you feel like he's bringing value to your to your story if it's a written story or if he's on the air what's your professional opinion of OJ as well, a I'll, guest.
2: I'll tell you, I actually give you a little insight into my thinking on his, my personal opinion of him uh, or a background on it, uh, because it's something that I do think about a lot. Uh, he's never, he or his people have never asked me if I thought he did it. Uh, so it's not never been a stipulation of me saying, oh, no, I don't think he did it. Or I needed to say, make some kind of statement, declaration right. to get his trust. They've never asked me. Uh, I've never told, I don't think they care uh, if I really, if I think one way or the other. Um, if asked, I would try not to answer because there's, I think both answers get in the way of the, doing your job, the right. ability to be a conduit, you know, it, it muddies things up. It, it's uh it's right. a bad beer line. It's a bad tap line, right? Yeah, it gets yeah. a funky, because right. if I say, OJ, I don't think you did it. Then I'll, then it changes the dynamic of okay. Well, now I like this guy. This is my mm-hmm. buddy. You right. know, he's this guy's got my back. Right? If I say OJ, I think you did it. Then he becomes adversarial, right? And doesn't so the I don't even know if he wonders. Maybe he does. But there's let's just play this straight. And so that's I've made it a point not to ever mention one way or the other what I think. What does it? And mean I've to never you? been asked.
1: What does it mean to you? that someone of his stature, whether it's for the right reasons, the wrong reasons, whatever, thinks enough of you to have you be the one to do the public interview with to to go on your radio show.
2: I can give a list of people, both heroes and villains. Um, you know, uh, who I'm proud that they've trusted me to tell their story because that, that's a reflection on my professionalism, uh, or the way that, uh, my goal when I do, when you, if you're going to make yourself vulnerable to me, whether you're OJ Simpson or Daryl Talley mm-hmm. or, uh, Sherry Holcomb, I don't know if that name rings a bell to you, but she was, uh, in like 2010 or so she became national news cause she stole her sons who had leukemia. He was dying of cancer and they had a fundraiser and she stole his money and gambled it away at the Buffalo casino downtown. She was arrested by the Erie County Sheriff's Department, and it was a whole scandal. Uh, she, uh, I got she, uh, Good Morning America, and Dateline, and Oprah, and all these people wanted to do it. She turned everything down. I was able to convince her attorney talk to me. Uh, she did not feel burned. No, no people don't feel burned when they talk to me. Lex Luger. I think Lex wishes that there was more uh, Christianity and born again aspect in that story than Mm -hmm. I put in there. Um, But didn't, didn't, don't feel burned. I mean, I, I don't care if you're OJ Simpson, you know, even if you're OJ Simpson, I don't want you to feel like, you know, I, I took advantage. Right. Yeah. That I, yeah. And so people may say, well, fuck him, burn him anyway, or uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, cut him off at the, at the knees or whatever. Go ahead and, uh ruin his life or you know uh I'm trying not to use a metaphor that doesn't involve stabbing it's uh, uh, funny you know, to stop, I I know what it, you're saying you're stab, you're, him, in stab uh, him in the back uh you know then we all sit here and giggle uh but um yeah I so the fact that we got done with the process and he said I treated him fairly was important to me
1: but I that want, doesn't mean I pull punches either I mean I've I don't think I have no, a history of that not at all I want to finish up by talking about the radio show, all right? Tim Graham's show, Wednesdays, 4 to 6. I listen every week, not always live, sometimes podcast version of it. You see a day, perhaps, where you maybe do this more than once a week or because of your schedule, that's all you can do or that's all you want to do because of your life and how everything you know fits in? I,
2: be- I believe that some there are some writers at The Athletic who do have daily radio shows, uh, but I don't think... I don't think I could pull it off or maybe I wouldn't be willing. I like the once a week thing and I, I I'd like to give it a try at some point, but I don't know if, if the timing is right on that, but I do enjoy it. I like putting together a show. I approach it the same way I do a story, like a feature. I don't just wing it. I don't just show Well, there have been days when things fall apart or uh, a guest doesn't come through or a guy who I thought I had in my pocket all of a sudden disappears on me or stops returning texts and you do have to wing a show. Um, But that's where Jonah Bronstein comes in. He's great to have as a co-host. Absolutely. I love him. Uh, Mike Rodak, uh, uh, maybe I think Chris Baker, uh, hopefully he's going to do some more shows with me. Bobby Rosati, the producer, can jump in. He has permission uh, to me to say and do whatever he wants. So we can have a conversation and get through our two hours. Um, But yeah, I think I'd like to give it a try at some point. I think, I think it would be good, but here's the thing. There has to be a willingness to go up against WGR for that to work. And I think there are some people who just don't willing to put, make the commitment or try to sell it in that way. And, uh, but we'll see, or
1: maybe everything just becomes podcasts anyway. You mentioned Mike Rodak, Mm -hmm. big fan of his, I is, all right, so you're a feature writer. You tell real sort stories, serious stories. Some humor in there, but a lot of them, like the Lex Luger one, that's not a comedy. I kind of feel right. like what I liked about the show. I is can't remember
2: like- the last time I told a long form knee slapper. <laughs> I, I think I'm I'm pretty drawn to well I'm pretty drawn to the dark material. <laughs> I will say though, I do have a long form coming up. I'm working on. I had a great interview today for it. That is totally frivolous, and it's it should be fun. Not it's not funny. But it's a. It should be a fun. Like, oh, this is neat, um, and it has z- almost zero substance at all. It's just it's inter- it's just fun for the sake of doing it. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing it. But yeah, but it, in general, I'm really drawn to the dark stuff.
1: <laughs> well, not on the show. You're not. That's what I was talking about. Like Mike was on. He was you. You bust oh, his balls uh, a lot. Sure. Oh well, on the on radio, the radio show. show. Oh, on the radio Mike, show. Mike yeah, was yeah, really, yeah. like a really good sport. He never took himself serious, and he kind of let you bust his balls. He if it you, was a lot of fun to listen to.
2: If you are of, uh, if you follow the Howard Stern show, he's like Baba Booey. Like yeah, you can, he's right. the punching bag. Right. But he, uh, and then we make sure we pay him afterwards and plenty of beer. You know, uh, like all right, Mike. Well, we'll go out and have some beers and uh, you know whatever. But the thing is, is we take it back from him. He has problem with that. Like he's uh, he, he's he's got dad jokes or these corny puns. Don't. So he tries to fight back sometimes. And it's just like it Don't. makes it worse for him. <laughs> takes <laughs>
0: takes the shovel out of your hands and digs his own hole kind That's, of situation. Exactly. Yeah.
2: But we would If hey,
1: you want to bust my balls, bust my balls. But he, he just didn't. Uh... Of all the Bills reporters, maybe in the last five years, maybe even the decade or so, I think he got the most unfair shake from fans when it comes well, to well, how wait he's a minute. treated. Who else got
2: a fair unfair shake? He's the, might be the only guy who got an unfair shake. No, like who is I there might somebody spend else? i night thinking about it. Is there somebody else you can thank that Bills no, fans didn't like?
1: Actually, he might be in a category by himself. Yeah, he really. i not, not gonna be thinking about it.
2: Not totally unwarranted, but I've explained it a, a hundred times, and I'll explain it one more time for people who may not. He, this is a guy whose first job was covering the New England Patriots. Yeah, and he for ESPN. He gets transferred to Buffalo, so he's he's seen winning number one, but he's seen winning in such an efficient way, and in a way that everybody tries to emulate, as evidenced by all the different assistants off Bill Belichick's staff that get hired the Patriot way. People trying to replicate it, and he comes to Buffalo where it's a mess, and they're doing it the exact opposite. He comes to the team in the you know obviously in the middle of a seventeen game or seventeen year playoff drought. And he's trying to cover this in the context of what he's, he has seen work and has covered. And so, so many things that the Bills do, he's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And so he didn't, but he played it straight. He wouldn't say, what the fuck is this? But he would maybe phrase it in such a way to be like, this isn't good or this isn't going to work or what is, uh," you know, like, so he would kind of, and then it became a point where, he relished like all right if you're gonna hate me anyway then fuck it right then i'm gonna throw so he there'd be something that's like sully man and he'd take the easy shot and he'd throw he'd send out a tweet and leave it alone and just let let people go nuts over it (laughs) it's like but if you're gonna hate me
1: anyway if you're not gonna give me a fair shake then why should i even try right i hear you man sully by the way is one other person I think but i saying unfair might be a stretch for sully i think he uh I think he did some of his shit on purpose. In fact, I know he has. And um I, th- I still think, though,
2: that uh, that's a columnist, though, and that's different. I think Sully welcomes—he right. realizes that that's kind of his role, is to be provocative. Mike Rodak was not provocative in his role. Mike Rodak was just covering the team, and people knew that he was from Boston— and that was that was that was the end of that.
0: The Bills fans saw the Patriots guy come in while we couldn't beat the Patriots for 12 years straight. And it's like, of course, and we got got this on top of it. Now right. the guy's covering the team already thinks the other team is better than us, too. And probably just the Buffalo mindset of us versus New England. Got- yeah,
1: I think it was unwinnable for him. Yeah. It was he was doomed from the start. I want to end this segment with a few random questions. These are kind yeah. of off the wall, man. We're going to wind down here. I haven't felt like I've been, been very sharp. Been a little loud and rowdy here at the Autobahn I North. I
2: haven't been very sharp
1: in this interview. I'm a little You've been disappointed. Sharp, man. All right, I've here we go. we go through a couple of things. Of all the sports that you cover or write about, which of those do you like doing the least? You still do them, but you like it probably the least. Boy, uh
2: Okay, so I might say football. Really? Um, But I love the routine of football. I love the regimented every day of the week during the season. It is, you know what you're going to be doing on a Monday. You could ask me, hey, Tim, in week 12 on a Tuesday, I know I'm off. Every Tuesday's off. Well, wait a minute. Actually, take that back because week 12 could be that Thanksgiving game. I don't know how that lines up. But anyways, <laughs> mostly, I know what I'm doing. I can look at the schedule and right. say I know what I'm doing on uh, each of those days, whether I'll be home, whether I'll be at the uh, field house, um, If what time I'm going to need to leave the house. I can look at all that right now. I can tell you what I'm going to be doing. Um, but the thing about football, and this is where I need to qualify it, is when you report on football you really have to come up with something original or else nobody's going to pay any attention to it. And if you're not going to take the time to put the work into an idea or do something that's original, it gets, it's just in the, it's just football coverage. Whereas when you wrote, when you covered hockey, every, every word was read by hockey fans. And I think really what it comes from is uh, you can flip on a switch and turn on the NFL network uh, or ESPN has got in, it's got all, and it, even in the off season mm-hmm. in July, there, there's still an hour block of NFL coverage on two or three times a day. Right. You have, uh, it's on pro football talk and you just flip on anything. You're going to get all the, you're going to get choked to death by NFL coverage. If you want to, if you want hockey coverage, you have to go look at quality hockey coverage. You have to go looking for it. And so that's where I think the athletic, that's like the foundation of the athletic is it's hockey coverage. Yeah, And, uh, I do think that like in fact, I've written a handful of hockey stories at the athletic, and they all when' with our metrics are my best stories mm. not not entire not like a hundred percent, but I think I've written maybe let's say I've written four or five hockey stories, three of them are in the top five or seven stories I've written, and I've written dozens and dozens of football stories, mm. and it's because it's just football cover it's just it's too it's too watered down the coverage of the nfl is so watered down that it's got to be something really fucking crazy for people to pay attention
1: to it yeah all right i spent so much time especially talking about nothing but chicken wings especially since i've been back in buffalo what's something you enjoy going out to eat that's not chicken wings nothing to do with chicken wings man let's give a a business, a free plug here. Well, I'm a, it can't st- be chicken wings. Oh,
2: a business? You want a business?
1: Yeah, but we're somewhere where you like to go out to eat, man. You uh, out, you got a free night. You can go anywhere you want to go. What are you going to get,
2: man? Uh, I think my favorite restaurant. I don't go there enough. Is Sear. and that's the steakhouse downtown. I've never been there. It's attached to the Embassy Suites. It's oh, the best steak I've ever had. Um, every time, whatever I get there, I love it. I've taken people there and they get different things and they I've never gotten a a bad comment or even a even a mild criticism about anything they've ever served there. It's a great and it's not big. So it's a It's a good date spot. It's a good uh, uh, beer, uh, bar spot. It's got a a bar aspect to it Um, in there to watch sports. It's in the city or it's near Chippewa. So you can go there. I mean, it's
1: it's a good spot. I got two more questions. I went back to our first podcast episode, which was episode two. I always had a mini lightning round, but I didn't have these questions in at the time when you were my guest. So these are being new to you. At least they wouldn't be to most guests that I've had on. Name me a game show past or present that you think you could potentially dominate. Not jeopardy. (laughs) Um, I have a
2: theory about jeopardy. Well, I have a theory about just education. I was never smarter than when I was in high school or college, and I'm talking about trivia aspect of things. I could watch Jeopardy and nail things, even things I didn't know about. I'd be able to read the clue. You can decipher things within the clue, and I'd know. And when everything's sharp because you're learning, right? I think it's because you're in class all day. You're in a history class and a math class and whatever. Um, And your brain's crackling, I think, a little bit. I think the older I get, the more I just stare at this. I'm just... With my mouth open, maybe a little drool coming down, and I'm watching Jeopardy, and I've realized I've gone four, four answers without giving a question, you know, I'm like, oh sh- shit! I'm watching Jeopardy. I better, um, a game show I could dominate. There's too much randomness to, like the mat match game. Yeah, I mean, you're so reliant on you know. Uh, oh, I know one that's been on the twenty. Uh, the pyramid, pyramid. I think I'd do good in. Uh, and I think uh, I would like my chances on Wheel of Fortune.
1: All right, fair enough. What about you, Jeff? You got? One? I was
0: going to say Wheel of Fortune, hundred percent. You watch some of the people they get on there and they can't spell half the words. Your Jeopardy answer is right too. Then they asked James Holzauer who just had that huge run on Jeopardy, like, what did he do to do so well? He's like, I went to libraries and I bought children's books on subjects and I read them. And that's like exactly what it is. It's just we get to a certain age and you're not reading random factoids unless you go out and seek them. Right. I can't tell you the last time I sat down and read like I'm I'm a guy who hosts bar trivia once a week. And I'm if I wasn't reading those things and learning those things in this in the structure of creating these games. I can't tell you when else I would read like five facts about the Mississippi River like It's that level of knowledge that you lose when you leave high school and college, and you get into your your routine, and you you go to the office, you go home, you don't want to think for a couple hours, and then you turn on Jeopardy. Like, wow, these guys are super smart. I wish I could do that, but it's just we get out of that routine of constantly learning things.
2: I think I would have done okay at Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, also the original version. That's different now with the different setup, but the Regis version. I think I would have done okay on that, because I think so much of it is a pressure thing. <laughs> and I think I'm a pretty laid-back guy. Like, I don't get too nervous on stuff. Now, that's different, especially they make you nervous with that music and right. the, the drama that they concoct. But
0: Going to commercial breaks, making you stand there for a couple minutes. Right. And there's so much, like, I, I, I like Press Your Luck a lot, the show, but you have no control no, at all random. over how you do. You could, lo- you could be the best player in the world and lose in four button presses.
1: Yes. Last one here, man. All right. The three of us are sitting here at the Autobahn North, taping a podcast, wrapping this up. Let's pretend for the sake of discussion, there's a karaoke show about to start. Okay. Name a song right now. And this is fantasy land. All right. But in your mind right now, you've had a couple beers and you feel like you could sing any song on earth that you can nail it, that people are going to get up be like, yo, what's this? Get into it. What song would you pick that you think you could rock out? Both of you. I want an answer from. Go ahead, Tim. I have
2: a song that I do. Oh, boy. What is uh, it? It is Radar Love by Golden Earring.
1: Really? I've, I've heard of that, but I don't know it well.
0: You would know it if you heard it. I'm pretty confident. Um, yeah? It's one of those songs that's I'm in the you. background of so many things. Yeah,
1: do, do you do you know it well? It. I've been told
2: I do, which is why I keep doing it. Because it's just like. <laughs> Someone's just I, playing I a
0: long-form joke on you. They heard you do it badly 10 years ago, and they keep making you do it.
2: <laughs> I don't divert from it. You know, It's like, yeah, I don't want to take any chances. A song that I would like to do. It's I've never seen it on a lit although I haven't been at uh I haven't done karaoke in years. Maybe I, I remember when I was at ESPN we had a uh, a group uh outing a summit we called it where all the bloggers got together and we and so that was 10 years ago. Yeah. But uh I did you know the song uh Handlebars by the FloBots? <laughs> no jeff does i, do. sure. I think I, do. I could do that <laughs> i would need this because there are some really fast parts like it's a rap it's a, it's a white guy rap yeah but it's a it's a thinker's rap like it is a it's a there's a
0: really good flow a, to it it's
2: an it's a brainiac rap brainy a, rap
0: it's like it's like sober karaoke though because you get too inebriated you can't do any of the fast parts and then you're just up there mumbling to yourself a little oh, bit, yeah. you which can, makes it more difficult you could get
2: easily derailed
0: oh yeah what about you, Jeff? My go-to, and I don't do karaoke a bunch because singing is not one of the talents that I possess. Um, my usual go-to is Plush by Sun Temple Pilots. That's a good one. So I've done one. that one a couple times. That's
1: a good What's one? yours? I don't have one, man. Barry Manilow. You can't. I write the songs. You can't Barry ask Manilow. these
2: questions with Barry
1: Manilow. I, I write the songs. They get a couple of drinks in me, I won't do it well. I, 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 can, my I, nail, wife I can nail Copacabana right now, My too, wife absolutely. is an amazing singer. In fact, that's when I met her at a karaoke show. She's recorded in Nashville, so we go out, and she's a star. And then people, I'll go up and people are thinking that, you know, well, she's good and he's going to be good. And then I embarrass her consistently and let her down. Because your
2: voice is gravelly, it just reminded, I was trying to think of a song that you'd be good for. And this could be, I did this once because I'm a yeller and I have a, I can get in, like, I have a little bit of a mimic voice. I can get into little characters and stuff. And I did uh, uh, Space Lord by Monster Magnet. I gotta look that up. You should, and it's hilarious. If you as soon as you hear it, imagine me singing it. I gotta expand
1: would, my musical horizons, man. You guys, your name and songs. Think, don't, I don't you know. think you could do I, that? I could, I
2: could hear that. You could hear it with the gravelly. Absolutely. You <laughs> start. No, I was, I was thinking like
0: you like George Thurgood and the Destroyers a little bit. Go like bad to the bone because
2: he couldn't
1: sing either. Yeah. Oh no. So yeah, he could it's just a guitar do, player. Do, do George Thurgood. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much for doing this. We went for quite a while, and uh, I'm known for that. You. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell he has a well, radio
0: show he's used to fill in the air sometimes i
1: know he's it. very good at it too man you really are but seriously I'm long-winded this is the third time doing it. i'm glad we got to hook up in person and uh get you out i know you've been busy and uh I, I, I do i really appreciate your time happy
2: to do it man i love i love being on i love what you do i think you're great at it and uh appreciate anything that. i can do to help you man and
1: whatever you need Thank you as well, Jeff. It was fun to meet you again. This is the first time we it's met. good to we see a Jeff segment. for the first yeah, time in probably four in years. I can't
0: believe I graduated Kenesha six years ago. That really... It's been,
2: oh, it's been six years. Yeah,
0: I, it was my 10-year high school reunion about three weeks ago, and that number really hit me hard. So I took your class six years ago now. Man. It flies by.
1: All right, that will do it for today. Big thanks again, Tim Graham, also Jeff Boyd, and of course, the Autobot North. Some of the best wings in Western New York. I promise you that. Thanks for being a gracious host on a pretty packed Monday night. Coming up on Friday's show, I'll be joined by former Buffalo Bills Pro Bowl Center and new Bills radio color guy, Eric Wood. We'll be taping that Wednesday night at Sunny Reds in Lackawanna. Follow me on Twitter, at Hammer Tweets for more info. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Talk to you soon.